0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we talk to the world's most creative people. I'm your host, Sourdough, your faithful, trusty, intrepid host, Sourdough, here yet again with an amazing guest, one of the world's most creative people, Heidi Luer. And if you don't know Heidi, you're about to, because this is woman is a powerhouse entrepreneur disruptor ceo founder author strategist bootstrapper investor and before i tell you more i want to encourage you to go to our website notrealart.com check us out we've got great content there for you sign up for our newsletter follow us be sure to check out all the great healthy stuff we got for you in terms of supporting our artists and That's why I love having Heidi on, because she too shares a passion for supporting artists. And I just love talking to her. Uh, For almost 20 years, Heidi Luer has built, bootstrapped, and founded businesses and creative industries such as the arts, entertainment, fashion, and tech. With a strong and innate entrepreneurial spirit, Heidi started her first business when she was just 11 years old and ever since has been working to build a global multi-million dollar enterprise that's sustainable. She's written and published her own book and worked with thousands of creative brands throughout her career with a deep respect for the underdog. Her businesses have largely been built on the notion that independent artists, entrepreneurs, and creators deserve to be seen and heard. Sound familiar? Yeah. We share a lot of the same values by harnessing technology and unorthodox creative problem solving. She's managed to disrupt industries, democratize communities and build a platform and space to incubate this personal mission you might know her claim to fame as an organization called RAW, and it's a wonderful network of independent artists around the globe that Heidi has built over the years to support artists, helping them tell their stories and promote their work, which is exactly why I wanted to have Heidi on the show because, like I said, we share so many of the same values. And so uh, this episode's a great one. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. I want to, of course, as always, encourage you, to call the hotline and tell us what you think. Good, bad, and ugly. We want to know and hear from you. So call 833-668-7325. Again, 833-668-7325. And lastly, before we get into this, I want to tell you about our new event series, Smart Talks, coming up here in LA starting September 21st. Be sure to check us out and buy some tickets. It's a small intimate affair, 75 seats available per session. And so we definitely want to see you guys there. Be sure to go to notrealart.com to learn more about our upcoming Smart Talk series and get your tickets. So now, without further ado, let's get into this excellent conversation with the one and only Heidi Luerr. Heidi Luera, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Did I get the name right?
2: You did. You I it. did? Woo!
0: Boy, <laughs> I went to public school, so you never know. You know, it's, <laughs> So did
2: I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's such a beautiful name. What is the
2: background? There's a really kind of interesting story behind this. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was adopted by a family that had the last name, and Unfortunately, he passed away before I was born, so I didn't get to meet him or like ask him directly. So there's all this kind of folklore in our family about where it came from. Half of my dad's side, things were of Mexican descent, the other half things were of of American descent. And I like, got sick of the argument. And maybe I'm going too deep into this question, but basically I got like one of those ancestry dot com accounts and just like did all my research and I did fit back to a great great grandfather being Native American. But nice. I don't know if I'm technically related to him by blood.
1: <laughs> right. Even
2: the top factor. But then somebody else told me there's a place in Spain called Luera. Ooh. <laughs> and it's probably Lueta or you know, yeah. Spanish, but I need to do a little bit more research on where it came from.
0: Or not, or, or not. I mean, what I love about your story is that, A, you know, I'm a huge advocate for adoption. Both my kids are adopted. So the fact that your grandfather was adopted, that's very cool. And, you know, as it relates to these genealogy tests and platforms, and what have you, you know, it's like, depending on what happens, it's like, what is that genetic test? 23andMe, I feel like if you get the results that maybe you weren't expecting, maybe it's twenty three and fuck me. You know what I mean? Know. Like I don't, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I think people take these tests sometimes and think, oh, I'm gonna learn something really beautiful, and then they end up finding something really controversial or provocative or scandalous.
2: And I think it's going get worse with the health stuff. <laughs> I don't want to know. It's just like I'm it's the way. universe intended and I'm just not going to know what my fate is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well Heidi, I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to come on the show and you and I have been orbiting each other I guess for a few years. You know, We chatted a few years ago about your new book at the time because now it's been on the market uh, about three years I guess and you were going to be a speaker at our conference back in 2020 may it rest in peace because of course like so many events we had to cancel it due to covid and and every business yours like any other was hugely impacted and and artists everywhere had to adjust and you know and raw being such a an important organization for so many artists in terms of giving them a platform also had to adjust and you know we were all blindsided by this and and yet from what i could tell from the outside looking in raw took time to really think through, you know, strategies uh, and tactics that would be value added for artists and, and you made some big announcements and made some big adjustments and and so take us through that cuz i know that that must have been a really scary time as we're sort of going from in-person events and brick and mortar kinds of experiences to a more of an online virtual reality you know, and so let's go back. I mean, not that you want to relive this, because I'm sure you have post-traumatic stress disorder.
2: (laughs) I do a little bit. bit. But at first, I want to just like, thank you for acknowledging that, because we did spend this period trying to be as thoughtful as we could about our community and like, where we're going to go forward. And you do all those things behind the scenes, and you wrestle with it, and you toil with it, and you come out and throw it out into the ether. And you don't always get feedback on that, you know, or somebody does offer feedback, it's usually critical in some way. So I appreciate you acknowledging that we tried to navigate the pandemic as best we could. But like you said, the entire industry was just completely blindsided by this. We all thought it was going to be temporary at first. And so we took those measures. But you know, the longer this drug out, and the more research I did, the more I realized this is going to be a long term, hugely impactful thing to artists, to venues, to the whole creative industry. But yeah, to take you back to where we were, March twelfth, 2020 was our 11th Earth Day as a company. <laughs> yeah. So we had like a party planned that day. I had ordered a bunch of champagne and we we're gonna have cake and we we're just gonna kind of like celebrate, like, hey, another year, we've made it. And it was also kind of a milestone because we had been experimenting with some really cool things for our showcases, like infusing a networking hour and like doing all these VIP. Type of press calls that were sh- starting to show some real promise. And just the shows were bigger and better than ever. And we were just kind of refining and glossing everything. And we were getting ready to kind of roll out this new program that we'd been working on internally. And then just bam, overnight, within 48 hours, our revenue went to basically zero. And then everyone refunding their tickets. So it was, yeah, it was kind of terrifying. (laughs) And, you know, at that point, everything was happening so quickly. There wasn't necessarily any type of announcement for aid or help or anything. I think they announced the PPP program within a couple of weeks, if I remember correctly, or maybe it was like about a month, but we're just sitting there like literally, what do we do? (laughs) And luckily everyone was generally in the same position. So like our office landlord understood we needed to wait. And I was like, we have this money in the bank, but what do I do? And there's no roadmap
1: for this. Right. No.
2: My husband and I were just talking about it. Like there's no one currently living that has gone through this period before, and especially not in the world we live in today. So there wasn't anyone really able to kind of lead us through. So it was really difficult. We ended up, Having to eventually lay off all of our employees and kind of to start the concept and the mission from scratch and just really kind of think about it. And again, we thought it was temporary. We thought that it was a two-week hold, and so we postponed all of our dates and told everyone, "Go home. We'll we'll get you vacation, sick time, whatever we can to like cover what you can." And then we tried to do our best by our employees that way, and then. Some of them, you know, I'd worked with for six years, seven years. I still have not seen them since that day in person. I never got to give them a hug, say goodbye, like try not to get emotional, but yeah, it was horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's devastating. I mean, listen, I mean, anytime you have to lay off anybody that you care about due to some business person if you're an empathetic leader with some emotional intelligence obviously that's always going to be a heartbreaking situation and very tough to do that let alone in a situation where you have to let go of your whole team in a sort of a crisis situation yeah. that you can't see the end of the tunnel or whatever right and you just don't know what the future holds and the fact that now this has been lingering for three years basically And we're still not seeing each other or hugging as much as we were used to. And, you know, artists love hugs. We're huggers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Emotional beings. Yes.
0: Indeed. Indeed. So you get through that initial few weeks and I guess the reality starts to set in for you, like so many other businesses. It's like, wait a minute, this is actually going to be a sustained crisis and that's going to fundamentally impact our business model in some real way. And, and so as you start to come to grips with reality as a business owner, as a creative entrepreneur, as a CEO, you're looking at yourself going like, wow, okay, we've got to adapt or we'll die. So take us back to that time when suddenly you realize like, okay, how are we going to evolve? How are we going to adapt? What are we going to adjust in our business model to survive?
2: I will say, backing up slightly, we did one last project as a team called the National Arts Drive in June. So we did get the PP loan and the EIDL, and we we brought our team back for as long as we could. But ultimately, yeah, events, there was no way to really pivot that quickly. I did not want to go the virtual route. I was watching some of the virtual events, and I was like, this is not the same. It's I can't even try and make this cool. I don't want to attend it. I mean, I think for some formats it works, but like you can't do a fashion show over, you know, Zoom or an art show even or live music, like nothing was really gelling for me. And I knew that that was going to probably age out at some point and people are going to be sick of being on their screens. So I was more focused, like leapfrogging that whole situation, going to what's going to come next and what is the world going to look like? And I did a lot of research. In fact, some of my friends were like, are you turning into a conspiracy theorist? (laughs) 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 Just like reading government documents, trying to see what like plans are for pandemics. And like, I was really digging deep. And so I kind of figured out that this again was going to be a long-term thing and how we kind of came out of this and how every state was kind of treating it differently. It started to help, Inform, I guess, some creative inspiration for how we could move forward. Where it's like, well, it's okay in some of these places, but it's not okay in some of these places. So, some of you know, like LA is taking longer to emerge, and then there's what other counties and states that have a little bit more of a loose restriction. So, if we were going to have any chance of survival, we needed to be a little bit more nimble than our previous model, which was basically having all of our employees in LA and they would fly out to these different locations and produce showcases. Like my gut was just like, you need to give it away. You need to give out all the information that you have and let people run with it because otherwise I don't know how I can personally in my stage of life and after and yes i have some PTSD from the pandemic how i could like come out and like rebuild everything from scratch i think it would be difficult for me physically and emotionally but also just from a time perspective building back from scratch was a big daunting feat and so i figured if i could turn this over to our creative community, give them my knowledge, give them our technology and let them go, then we would recover faster and better and and kind of create a new landscape. You know, in, in times where things break down like they did, I think it is painful as it is. It presents an opportunity to creatively think how to come back stronger, building back better, you know, So that was ultimately the thought. Like the entire time, I feel like the day or the day after the pandemic struck, I was like, I knew that it was going to be pretty impactful. I didn't, again, at the time, know that it was going to go past the two weeks to, you know, slow the spread. (laughs) And then as it went on, I just felt in my gut like this pull to throw it all out and say, you guys take it and do what you can with it. So, that's kind of what we did we basically spent the pandemic refining our technology refining our training and processes we reskinned the whole thing we redeveloped everything that we had created and made it so it was a lighter weight form of both technology and training we basically started a licensing program so artists or creative entrepreneurs can now start their own raw events or they can even call their events something else and basically use our technology and all of our tools and all of the know how that literally took me twenty years to accumulate. (laughs) Yeah. Through lots of trial and error and lost time, sleep, money, pain, tears (laughs) they can take all of it and basically connect the dots themselves in their local community and host their own creative art showcase. So it's a business model that is profitable that we ran for eleven years ourselves before the shutdown. And we have to date we have about eighteen licensees across the United States. And a lot of them are just kind of getting going. And again, that location thing, some locations were have been okay to so like restart and just hit the ground running and others are still kind of emerging. So we're, we've taken our time with it. We've tried to really like handpick those licensees to be the very best versions. And it's a new program, so there's some growing pains and figuring everything out. But for the most part, we've got showcases running. <laughs> People are up. We have artists being showcased. And that's what I wanted, ultimately, from this time.
0: Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the decision you made was this notion of decentralization right so like you know you were obviously a centralized organization hosting and producing and hosting kind of your own events and on a certain level whether you thought of it this way or not you decided you know what like we're gonna you know that old analogy about give people a fish or teach them how to fish and you decided to give the tools and the skills and the knowledge the proprietary technology away right to the artists to empower them to adapt themselves, right, to that situation. And so it's very interesting, right, because there's there's a lot of, um, hopefully there's a lot of stability, more stability, more security in the kind of the decentralization model. And then, of course, the licensing model is great because, of course, you know, the, from a business perspective, licensing revenue, it's like, you know, we make money when we sleep. So, (laughs) so it's good. You know, that's the beauty of licensing. But to your point, you're trying to do this in a situation where it's a very uneven kind of environment. You know, some cities are opening up faster than others and some places are, you know, so even artists producing their own events are facing some of these challenges. What, what are some of the unexpected positives that have come out of this and what have been some of the unexpected negatives that have come out of it? Because I know you've, you've probably gotten, you know, there's pros and cons, right? So to the extent you're comfortable sharing, like, what are some of the really positive ah ahas? Like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I didn't see this coming. And what have been some of the more stressful moments where you're like, oh no, (laughs) I didn't see that coming.
2: (laughs) I'll start with the positives. I guess I can speak to both personally and professionally. The positives, I'm just going to speak personally first. I had a baby last year.
0: Congratulations, mama. (laughs) Thank you. I've got two, so I can share in the joy and pain. I remember talking
2: (laughs) about this. Yes, yes. So personally, for me, it allowed me to be a mom, right? Because working the schedule I have had for the last 11 years was not conducive, really. Or a family. I could have tried to make it work, but it would have been really difficult. So I think that's been a huge positive and a blessing is being able to turn this information over to other people to kind of run with it and and go is giving me a little like quality of life. <laughs> I think the other positive is that when people are integrated in the community, and we we already knew this to a certain extent, and we were, again, we were experimenting with some things and we were headed kind of in a direction when all of this went down. But when someone is integrated and local to their community, they can go a lot deeper with relationships, with press and promotions, and building their network and their community and their foundation there than we could from afar. So that has definitely been, I think, a positive to this. I think most of the positives were kind of known going in. I wouldn't say there was a huge like surprise on any of them. I would say any of the negatives that we've experienced, we have had, You know, speaking completely candidly, a couple of licensees that have paid for the license, have all the access, and have done nothing.
0: <laughs> right, right.
2: And I'm kind of like, why would you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't get that. So we're we're working out on how to make sure like people are truly prepared for this opportunity. And again, the growing process. It's like we started a brand new business. So we kind of did a rendition of this when we first launched in two thousand nine. We had independent contractors all over the United States. So I knew some of what to expect, but. I didn't expect the inactivity part of this, honestly, but we're going to make sure that doesn't happen in the future. We've got all of the team working on that aspect. But other than that, I haven't seen too many negatives. It's been really cool to see people take it and put it together in their own vision, you know, ultimately. Like they're choosing, some of our licensees are choosing really unique venues that we typically stuck with like music venues because they have all the equipment and all the things like built in. And, but some of them are choosing really like unique, like an arcade and stuff. It's just really cool to see raw in these different forms and according to what they want to do. So that's
0: cool. Yeah. It is interesting, right? When you when you set people free in terms of the choices they make, <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that we could do it quite like that. But then also, to your point, right? In, in terms of people paying the money, the good money to license the technology, so to speak, and then not do anything with it. I mean, it's like, wait, okay. (laughs) You know, execution is really important, people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, and I mean, you know, I was having a, I won't say with who, but I was having a conversation recently with somebody who's like a mentor of mine. And she said, why do you care whether they're active or not? They're paying you. And I was like, because I care that these showcases are, Up and running, and you know well because that is the point. You know that is well because
0: if everybody bought a license and didn't do anything with it, the company would still die, right? (laughs) I mean, you know, you did it to survive, you did it to build a business, and if people don't do their part, I mean, the relationship or the commitment is like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll license you this technology, but the expectations are going to step up and then use it, and if they don't use it, and if everybody were to do that, you know, it'd be a loser.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. And luckily, it's a very small fraction. But it is something that I deeply care about because it's my baby I started this from zero dollars at my kitchen table.
0: It's your (laughs) original baby. Now you have have like another baby Baby. competing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now I have a human one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Let's pause on that moment for a minute because I, you know, I do, you know, follow you on social and you've been wonderful and quite open in sort of sharing your story as, you know, sort of a new mom, you know, a little bit anyway, you know, on social. And so I've I was feeling your your joy, and I was, you know, and I was also, of course, as any parent does. You sort of, well, welcome to the club, you know. Yeah. It's uh, it's you know, <laughs> you know, yes, it's beautiful, but man, is it hard. And you're right. I mean, it was a time for a re- reevaluation of priorities. It was a time, you know, pandemics, a time just kind of maybe make some different choices. And a lot of people got pets,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> you know, right? I mean checked all the bingo letters like in the pandemic bought a house got a dog had a baby (laughs) pivoted a business
0: (laughs) over overachiever It's such an overachiever (laughs) but also it was probably sounds like the right time right because on a certain level the business was on some level established right you had been doing this for 11 some years or whatever and you know and so it was like oh okay yeah sure the world is crazy and whatever but you know, you feel comfortable to sort of make that leap. And so, congratulations. That's amazing. And <laughs> you have a daughter, right?
2: No, he is a boy. That's oh, a boy. it's a boy.
0: Sorry. My bad. My bad. Yeah, so, so many so babies. Hard. I can't keep track. What is uh, your son's name?
2: His name's Rowan.
0: Rowan. What a cool name. What a good name. Yeah, it
2: could be a guy's name or a girl's name. So, I guess. Yeah.
0: Can't yeah. It, and he's two now or one and a half?
2: He's like 50. 15 months. 15, 15 months. And wow. I used to think okay. when people would say that because it's like, just tell me he's, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But
2: yeah, he's like, he's a little over a year. <laughs> For the people who don't have kids. The reason I think that people say months is because so much changes from one month to the other month, right? Like if you have children you kind of know like they're developmentally so different from 14 months to 15 months.
0: Well, I agree with you. I mean, when people ask me how old I am, I say 52 and nine months because I count the nine months in the womb.
1: <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs>
0: very, very important. Well, that's wonderful. And as a mom and an entrepreneur, you know, it's interesting because we tell ourselves as a culture, I think a lot of times we tell ourselves we you know here in America anyway, we can have it all, we can have it all. And the reality is we can't have it all, right? Like, I mean, it is, there are choices, there are sacrifices that need to be made. I mean, how have you adjusted? I mean, obviously you've adjusted the business in a more decentralized kind of, lack of a better way of putting it, virtual kind of model where you're selling licenses versus actually doing the work. So that's a huge adjustment in terms of freeing up your time to be a mom. You know, what are some of the other sort of adjustments that you have had to make to juggle because you know at the end of the day you're juggling a lot
2: yeah well obviously as a licensed company we pull in a lot less revenue now it's a little bit over time and so i have to find other ways to pay myself yeah right
1: right so
2: well, during the pandemic, so after we did the National Arts Drive, which was our big like fundraising campaign for independent artists, that was in June. And then we said goodbye to the team, which we dissipated. I took a break for a couple of months and I was so bored. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, I thought that I wanted a break. I was like barely, barely pregnant. And I was just like, man, this is like super boring. Like, I don't know how people work or don't do anything. You know, I definitely needed a rest, and it was nice to like sleep in again and like just kind of, uh, like you were saying, recenter, re re-remember like what I want, where where I'm going. Because I started raw when I was 24, and at the time of the shutdown, I was 36. And so a lot changes in that, you know, decade or so. And yeah. there's, there's things that I, I wanted to like rethink about, you know, how I wanted to frame my life. So one of the things is I really just kind of came down to the fact that I really love to talk to creative entrepreneurs. Like I don't really have hobbies. I don't like, oh, I go and I, you know, pot- do pottery or like I like writing for sure, but I don't like go and do that as a hobby. I write for information. <laughs> I write emails. <laughs> I really like when I look at the core of myself, I'm a creative entrepreneur and I love talking to people about their ideas and how to bring them to fruition and strategizing those things, et cetera, et cetera. So I started a consulting business called Hatch Planning and Strategy. And I've been consulting with creative entrepreneurs since the pandemic because I had a ton of friends that were in the events industry and they all lost their jobs out of nowhere, you know, just like I did. I lost my job too. Like we all lost our job. And they were kind of thinking about how they wanted to restart and having those same internal conversations like, what is my priority moving forward? What do I really care about? What do I want to do? And they all kind of came to some conclusion that entrepreneurship or starting your own business and this thing that they're passionate about was what they wanted to do next. So people started coming to me, my friends mainly, and they were just like, Hey, can you help me put together a business plan? Or can you help me, you know, do this thing? So again, just like raw, I was intentional about it after a couple of months. But at first, it just kind of started as like, a natural organic thing within my network. And so I decided I really love doing it so much that I was going to make it official and start a little boutique consultancy. So it's just me. I don't have a, a single employer team member. It's just me consulting with creative entrepreneurs and helping them create their business plans based on all of the things that I've learned over the course of my time as an entrepreneur starting raw. And then within raw, we had an agency and we, you know, had a really robust website. We still have a robust website that, you know, figuring out the UX and how people are going to use it and interact with it. Like I was a part of a lot of those decisions. I might not have been writing the code, but for better or for worse, have all this, experience in lots of different things that i did not set out to have experience in and so i feel like that can really be a benefit to new entrepreneurs so i did that and so that is another way that this kind of pivot has opened up my time and so i've been doing that and i basically am running two businesses at any given moment now (laughs) so adjusting i am now a mom and have two drops.
1: <laughs> so
0: you adjusted by doubling down. I love it. I love it.
2: I don't know how. I was like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, Raw allows me to have more time now and just go to mom and do this. But again, I was just like so bored. It's just not within me.
0: <laughs> but this is the central challenge of any, I think, creative person. It's because by I think by nature we are yes and people. And in business school and many successful entrepreneurs will tell you and veteran CEOs will tell you that one of the most essential skills in being successful is the ability to say no, you know, in focus, you know, and it's so challenging for us creative people because we're givers, right? And we want to do and we want to make it happen. We want to see things come to life. And and so it, it is kind of one of the challenges of being a creative person, you know, but one of the things that struck me, you know, about your story is that, that I love so much. And I think that artists listening, hopefully will, and I think artists today are waking up to this reality, but you know, when you started raw, I think maybe it was, you were kind of um, a maverick in many ways or the exception rather than the rule, because what you saw as somebody who grew up in writing and was interested in fashion you said, you know what, like, I have to take responsibility for my success. And you took action, you know, and you started manifesting what you wanted and needed, right, as a fashion designer. And so you didn't wait for anybody, right, to do it for you. You didn't wait for somebody to give you the key to the city, you went and took it, you know, you went and grabbed it. But the point is, is that You were a designer and a creative, you know, and you were looking to get your fashion designs out into the world. So broadly speaking, Heidi, you're an artist, but now you're also a business owner and a mom and everything. Like, what are you doing to feed the artist inside you, I mean, are you still designing fashion on the side? Are you? Do you? I mean, you, you said you you you're not writing. I mean, you wrote your book, so that with that by the way, in itself, you're know, writing a book. I've written a few myself, and writing a book will scare you away from ever writing another one.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. But what do
0: you do to feel? I mean, being a mom can be incredibly creative, so I get that. But as an artist, you know, inside and and as a creative person, what do you do to feed your creative spirit?
2: I never feel like I'm not being creative for the most part, because building a business is creative. And I think working with some of my clients and kind of creatively strategizing how we can get their new product or their new event or their new whatever out into the world. That's really a creative process is like thinking and solving these puzzles. And I feel like that's what creativity is is kind of thinking outside of that normal box that most people would see as the path or a path that's been carved there before. I do write, but I write like I said for social media.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> social sure. media
2: posts and stuff. And some of that is my creative outlet. I do sometimes write little essays or quips or something in my phone on the fly. But I feel like I, like I said, I'm always creating something, even when it comes to like platform by raw artists, the licensing program, like I, I did not design it myself, but I had to work with the design team every single day. We had to design the UX. Like we're always working on how something should work and how something should look and how something should feel. And I think that, being a mom is very creative. You have to be extremely good at time management. <laughs>
1: I'm
2: really good at time management in general. But like now, I've added the baby into the mix. So it's kind of like, how can I be creative and thinking how I'm going to do four things before breakfast? You know? Right. That's
1: so right. That's like right.
2: I'm always kind of being creative and I'm really like, the person who if you invite me to a birthday party I'm going to bring you a gift that is elaborately wrapped so
1: like, <laughs> right. these, like
2: little things like yes, that, yes, that yes, in my yes, life yes. I think yes. that's just who I am I will always find a way
0: You're hitting the nail on the head because I mean there are so many opportunities throughout our day to express ourselves creatively you know and I love your example about wrapping a gift it's like oh okay this is a creative opportunity here like how am I going to really level up here and do something really special for this person I care about. You know, I was talking to somebody, an entrepreneur, about this very topic a while back, and he said, you know, I cook. He's like, you know, I love cooking. That's my creative expression. I love feeding my family. I love cooking. And I totally get it. I mean, as a creative entrepreneur, as a business person, as a creatively minded person in the world, if we allow ourselves to find them, there are many, many opportunities throughout the day, right? To scratch that creative itch and do something that is fulfilling
1: creatively.
2: That's another good point is the cooking thing. Yeah, even it it's like, oh, I'm going to put this little piece of basil on the top. <laughs> like my husband would never do that. Like, <laughs> 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 We're different in that regard. But yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head being that there are all these little opportunities that you have and I would like to think I pretty much take every one like I don't feel satisfied unless I not only done the task but done it with a little bit of something
0: (laughs) well and you know listen I mean this isn't about me but I'll just share you know because in terms of my own creative expression it's like I'm not painting I'm not sculpting I'm not blowing glass but man, I'm talking to glassblowers, I'm talking to painters, I'm talking to, to artists. And I mean, this is so fun and creative for me. And you know, I get to talk to creative people and that fulfills me creatively. And, you know, whether we're producing events or whatever it might be, those feel like, for me, opportunities to be creative and, and sort of scratch that itch. And, you know, I feel like, you know, there's a maybe a philosophical conversation around, well, what is an artist these days and who's an artist these days? Because, of course, you do have, you know, traditionalists who might be more conservative around defining what makes an artist or what is an artist. And I feel like the cool kids these days, the young, hip, cool kids, of which I am not, will, you know, have a much more liberal, broader view of what an artist is, you know, these days. And, you know, I think that's a really good thing. You know, I think we do need to broaden our idea of, what being an artist is, I do think that we're all sort of born with that in us. I think the system squeezes it out of us as they socialize us to get a real job and, you know, and all that crazy stuff. But this idea that, you know, we're all artists on some level, that we can all creatively express ourselves on some level. I think that's a super important message to kind of get out there. And you may not be an artist with a capital A, but you're an artist with a lowercase a and that's totally fine.
2: Yeah. And I think the definition of art, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've read it, but is like evoking an emotion, right? And like, we all have the availability to do that. And I believe, like you said, we're all innately born with an immense amount of creativity. All you're doing, since and especially watching my little son right now and watching what he does and how he's just kind of creating his own reality all the time. And we do that as we get older yeah, we're all born with it and it gets tamped down for sure by society and molded into different things. And I've met, again, I will not name names, but I have met artists, quote unquote, that to me are not really, they don't have the soul there. They are painters. They are painters. They're maybe even exquisite painters. But I think that art is almost an emotion it's like a part of you, and some people it takes them a really long time to find that and so I think it can kind of go either way. I think every person is super duper creative. I think everyone is an artist in some regard, but some people it takes them a little longer. I think you can be a, you can be creating things without necessarily being an artist if that makes sense,
0: yeah, well, absolutely, and you know this idea of. I love how you put it because I mean, that's it. I mean, on a certain level, well, fundamentally art is about emotion and perhaps the best artist or the most emotion and maybe the less talented artist or less emotion. I don't know, <laughs> but you can be an incredibly, you can, you can be, you can be a great technician, right? You know, yeah. an incredible painter and, you know, listen, if I'm going to do something, I, I'm fine if you hate it because at least I caused you to feel something strongly. Hate is a very strong emotion. <laughs> you know, the worst thing would be just, you know, an apathetic response of like, Meh, I
2: don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hate is still very close to love in it's intensity. <laughs> so if, if someone hates something, if you're getting a response from anyone on anything that you're doing, in my opinion, that's a good sign. <laughs>
0: absolutely absolutely so i you know one of the things i've always loved about raw is that you guys have a multidisciplinary kind of approach you know in that you embrace artists broadly so it's not just about visual art or fashion design or musicians it's it's all of it i mean and that and that it's a cre- it's a community of creatives at the end of the day and you know you've had so many opportunities to talk to so many different artists on different stages of their career in different markets in the country. And obviously being an artist, you know, creative community is not a monolithic community at the end of the day. I mean, everybody's kind of struggling with personal issues or challenges or, you know, what have you, but, but because you had the opportunity over so many years to talk to so many different creative professionals across the country, what, Are some common themes or insights that you've seen? It's like, oh, yeah, I don't care if they're a fashion designer, musician, actor, painter, you know, most artists are struggling with X or most or a lot of them are struggling with Y. I mean, can you speak to some common themes that you've seen in the struggle to be a creative professional in this country?
2: Yes, (laughs) I can. And that was kind of the impetus for my book. I guess I'll plug it. The Work of Art, A Known offense Field Guide for Creative Entrepreneurs. That was, I've always been the type throughout my entire career since I was a kid, kind of like we were talking about, where I become inspired by things that I feel are lacking or aren't available. That's why I started Raw, because I couldn't find a place to showcase my own work. And it kind of pissed me off. And so I did something about it. And then as I've worked with thousands of different creatives, and like you said, all different genres, the other thing that kind of pisses me off (laughs) is there, there isn't really approachable, perhaps education on the business side of being a creative. And I think the reason for that is that It's kind of like how we go to school and we learn how to play the recorder and really complex calculus, but we don't learn how to change a tire or (laughs) learn how interest works on a credit card. Like, It's the same in the art world where it's like we have art schools and creative conferences and all these things to learn how to be more creative. We don't really have much of a problem with that. And that's something that can happen with time and practice what creative entrepreneurs have a problem with, and I used to as well. I, I am a recovering <laughs> tunnel vision creative that didn't want to look at any of the numbers or the business stuff or how to become sustainable or profitable or any of the. It was like disgusting to me. It was icky. I didn't want to do it. It was like the further it was from mine, better, the better. And it has made me a better creative, I think, and more effective knowing that stuff that it hasn't. So I will say that the one common thread that I come across through all of these different creative entrepreneurs is that they don't know enough about the business side of their work. They don't know how to necessarily turn this into a career and therefore they give up before they even get there. And it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. And I think a lot of people don't understand that as well. They think that they're going to put together a collection of designs or paintings or their first album, and they're going to push it out and push some emails and set up some shows and just going to all come together for them. So I think there's unfortunately, and I'm just speaking bluntly, there's a little bit of delusion there, but it mostly comes from not having the tools and the knowledge and the resources for those things. And I feel like that is kind of my next mission for my next evolution in my career is trying to give this creative community more of the entrepreneurial aspects. Because I find that A lot of creatives, one, they don't define what they actually want. They don't whittle it down to their deepest, deepest why. Like, why do you want to be in that gallery? Okay, because you want to make money? Great. There's lots of ways to make money. Why is this route so important? Like, really whittle that down to the very bottom basic. And what is that thing? And typically, it has to do with, you know, some type of notoriety or they also want money, but they ultimately they want to do what they love for a living. And so in order to do that for a living, you need to get really comfortable with the money aspect. And there's never been a better time to be a creative entrepreneur or an independent artist. We have the world at our fingertips, you know, with social media, with all the different types of platforms you can create your own business overnight and collect income very quickly without needing a manager and an agent all these other gatekeepers that we used to have in the old world you know so i feel like i have a lot to say on this topic as you can (laughs) tell but ultimately buy
0: the book people (laughs) buy the
1: book
2: (laughs) ultimately yeah and there's i have a lot of things for people who are brand new at the concept of thinking about that in the book. But in general, I think understanding what you truly, truly want and why you want it will help you point yourself in the right direction of getting those things, having a plan to get those things, being patient through the process and knowing that it's, again, a marathon, not a sprint. If you want to do this, you're doing it for the long haul. You can be really smart and strategic about how you spend your time to get there. And getting comfortable with money, like getting comfortable talking about it, understanding it, understanding that it's fuel to do more of what you love. You can't pour from an empty cup. You're not going to be creating anything if you don't have some type of form of income to sustain yourself. So like I said, I could talk about this forever, but those are the the common threads that across all creative genres I've seen artists kind of fall victim to is just trying to... Carve all of that stuff out of their life and just they want to focus and and be creative. And unfortunately, I don't think that's realistic. And I don't think that they will get too far doing that. You know, you can certainly take that route, but a lot of people will also fall victim to predatory behavior of others that will be happy to look at their numbers and negotiate on their behalf. And, you know, that's why artists get in hot water a lot with that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's such an important topic on so many levels for so many reasons. And as I've said to artists many times myself, it's like, listen, it's cool to be idealistic and romantic about making your art and the fact that money is evil and you don't want to deal with that, you know, but then you can't complain that you're broke and you can't complain that you can't pay your rent. Because you can't have it both ways, you know, we live in the real world, and you have to accept responsibility, you know, and you know, the art world, you know, I'm thinking about visual art, you know, generally right now, but I mean, the visual art world has really failed 99.9% of artists, because the one business model that has emerged, you know, the so called gallery system, you know, only serves 0.001% of artists. And, you know, there's been no innovation, in the space, or little innovation now, you know people are trying to address it with tech and apps and things, which is great. I'm glad to see that creative energy. But the reality is, you know, the blue chip first world of art, you know, the White Cube Gallery system, they're just fine. They're not going to innovate. They're not going to. It's not broke for them. They're not going to try to fix it. You know, and so I think you know to the extent this is why you know organizations like RAW so important because on a certain level your ethos. Your story, your history, you know, all of your values point to this ethos of saying, guys, we have to accept responsibility for our lives, for our for our businesses. And it's an empowering conversation. You know, it's this is exciting. You know, I mean, it's never been a more exciting time to be an artist. I think, then today in terms of being able to take your art to the people via the web and e-commerce and so many great tools for for amplification and boosting, whether it's podcasting or YouTube or whatever the case might be. And so this is why it's so important, I think, for artists to know about organizations like Raw and the work that you do and the book that you've written, because ultimately at at the end of the day, you're trying to teach them how to fish so they don't
1: starve.
2: Yeah, thank you for saying that. That's what we feel. And that has been the mission is to provide those tools and resources so that they can connect the dots and be successful. And look, we don't claim that we can make anyone famous by participating in our showcases. But I can certainly promise that they will have an education in how to promote themselves, how to maybe set up their very first showcase and all the things that you learn just by doing and going through with it, the emotional aspect of it, just the education of getting through an event from start to finish with the logistics, the emotions, the preparation. And yeah, I feel majority of our artists come out on the other side with a huge net benefit, both from literal and spiritual, I guess, figurative sense to a certain degree. And the goal has always been to democratize over gatekeep. And that's a platform by raw artists is just the next level of that. No pun intended, <laughs> but instead of us democratizing just the arts platform and organizing that, it's now giving creative entrepreneurs an opportunity to have their own platform. So it's rewarding work and it is, pretty much all of the things. like I said, I don't think anyone has concisely put it as you have and it's kind of like throwing me for a loop a little bit because I'm like, huh, yeah, you're exactly this is all the things that I value and feel that I've turned into this thing and I'm just realizing that.
0: That Good. (laughs) Oh, my job here is done. Good, (laughs) good. I've always wanted to be a spiritual advisor and uh, apparently my job here today is complete. I
2: don't need therapy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just come on to the podcast. We solve the world's (laughs) problems. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Heidi Luera, I am so grateful that you have taken time to sit down and I do hope you'll come back. Will you come back and do this again with me sometime?
2: It would be my pleasure.
0: Absolutely. That's so good. So listen, before we sign off, I want to make sure that all the artists listening know exactly where to find Raw, what Raw can offer them. So shameless plug here. Take your time to share with our listeners all the important stuff that artists need to know about how to access all of the tools and all of the support that RAW offers.
2: So you can apply to participate in RAW showcase as an artist at RAWArtists.com. That's plural on artists. You can also find us on Instagram if you want to check out some of that stuff. If you want to check out platform, if you're interested in starting your own RAW showcase or creative art showcase with our technology, and again all of the 20 years of my knowledge infused into videos and trainings and tutorials all baked into the software. We have our platform by raw Artist licensing program, and you can find that at rawartist.com slash platform. If you're interested in my book, it's on Amazon. It's called the work of art, a no nonsense field guide for creative entrepreneurs. And I have a personal website at Heidi, <laughs>
0: Woo hoo! Right, so you're not on TikTok? Come on, you're not on TikTok. What about, wait, wait, wait! What about what about NFTs? Are, are you not selling NFTs? What about metaverse? Are you not in the metaverse?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a whole other conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't, I'm baiting you. Don't even go there. You know, you know, I'm joking. I mean, this. <laughs>
2: no, not any of those places quite yet. You can follow me on Instagram, but it's just a whole lot of baby pictures right now. Hey,
0: you so. know what? On a on a more real note, I, I guess I'm reminded. Some totally kind of random, like I really, like several years ago when I was, I guess, learning about RAW for the first time or whatever. At some point you guys had like a streaming radio station or something, right?
2: Didn't you? We had Radio. It was a radio podcast. Well, it was actually, yes, you're right. It was radio. Yeah. It was streaming and you could listen to a playlist and we ended up moving it to Spotify and then we had an industry exchange podcast that we kind of like patched in there. So, kind of got all mixed up, but yeah.
0: The reason I bring it up is because it was super dope. Like, I was like, wow, these musicians, like the music, I was into it, man. I was just like, yeah. I mean, I, I felt like I was discovering, you know, new new indie artists that obviously I wouldn't have discovered otherwise. And that was super dope. So now it's sort of morphed into more of a podcast format. Is that is that what you're saying?
2: It was a podcast format. I have been toying with the idea of bringing something like that back. But, yeah, we had basically music and then we'd have, these interjections of what we called our industry exchange podcast. And those were right. like interview professionals we would talk to and interview and then put them in there. It was like a 24 hour streaming service. And we actually had like segments and everything like a radio station. But like I said, I have a very small team now. It's just me and a, and a couple of really right. important
1: Yes. Teams. Yes. Yes. All of the
2: extra Things we used to do that were super fun and we were all passionate about I have had to go by the wayside. Given, you
1: know, yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh but yes. I
2: have been thinking about how some things can come back, but nothing, nothing solid quite yet.
0: <laughs> Just be a mom. I mean, you know, like you got, you know, like that. Like that's enough. That's that's enough. <laughs> Well, Heidi, thank you again for coming through. This has been awesome. And I'm so grateful that you'll come back and and revisit at some point and uh, look forward to that. So thanks so much. And uh, you, my friend, you have a beautiful day.
2: <laughs> you too. Thanks so much, Doug.
0: Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Pajot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.